Geeks and Geekettes, welcome to another episode of Geeky Therapy. If you are new to the show, Geeky Therapy is a safe space to discuss, complain, analyze, and criticize the biggest happenings in popular culture. We focus on a variety of topics from movies, TV, to comics and technology, sometimes even delving into conspiracy theories. What you won't find here is the drama, the chaos, and the uncertainty of the weight that you call life. So come on in, leave all your crap outside the door, and relax. Therapy is in session. Geeks and geekettes, welcome to another episode of Geeky Therapy. This is episode three, where we will continue our current trend of discussing Avengers Infinity War, this time with a spoiler-filled review of the movie where we will discuss major plot points, major deaths, and which characters just pissed me off. But before we really dive into the soul stone of this conversation, what I'd really like you to do is just close your eyes and pay attention to the music in the background because this this is what everything is about and I really want you to get in that right headspace to uh, to listen and to reflect on uh, the milestone that is Avengers Infinity War. Disclaimer, if you are driving, do not close your eyes, do not be an idiot, do not pass go, and do not collect $200. differently. Um, if you grieved uh, like I did with multiple bags of candy, that, that that's okay. Uh, if you grieved with not being able to sleep uh, that night like I did, that's okay. Um, just remember that uh, there are five stages of grief. Um, denial, anger, bargaining, uh, depression, and acceptance. Um, I don't know where you all are. Uh, I'm not in denial anymore. Uh, I'm not angry. I, I don't think that I ever was. Um, I, I think that I'm probably in the bargaining. Uh, I think I'm bargaining for, for Marvel to bring back uh, the Scarlet Witch and Spider-Man. And I think that's it. I really do think that everyone else could uh, stay gone, and I would probably be okay with it. But that really gets us into uh, something that we'll discuss uh, closer to the end of today's show. Um, let's begin this session with just uh, an overall review uh, of the movie. Uh, like I said in my non-spoiler uh, analysis, I, I really did love it. Uh, I very much enjoyed it. Um, I felt that they very well set the tone for Thanos um, and what he meant and represented as a villain 
and as a threat. Uh, and they did that very well in the beginning of the movie with his attacking of the Asgardian ship, um, the near death, or I guess for him, the suspected death of Thor, um, the death of many Asgardians, the death of Loki, uh, the death of Heimdall. I think it really, um, it really set this precedent of fear um, for the viewers, maybe more for the younger viewers than the older ones. Um, but I think beginning the movie in that way, again, made this not feel to me like an Avengers movie. Um, I feel like the Avengers have always represented this uh, pinnacle of hope um, and perseverance and that no matter what, if you join together and you work together, you can overcome great odds. But beginning the movie in such a way that we see uh, many of our of our favorite heroes manhandled, uh, including the Hulk, which we will we will get to discussing that subplot. Um, I think that it made Thanos easily Marvel's best villain, um, and it and it set such a tone for the movie that I never felt very hopeful. Um, I got excited at certain parts, you know, um, when Thor arrived in Wakanda with Soul with the Stormbreaker. I was one of however many in the audience that cheered and gave a round of applause for that moment. I, uh, when uh, Iron Man and Star-Lord and the crew on Titan very nearly extrapolated the gauntlet from Thanos' hand, uh, I, you know, I can say that I, I felt, um, you know, a few glimmers of hope in that moment. But ultimately, I knew that no matter what um, the protagonists did, that uh, Thanos was walking out of there, that the that the villain was walking out of there with his with his ultimate weapon, um, and that there was nothing that anyone could really do about it. But I mean, really, outside of that moment, uh, it was a it was a sense of dread throughout the majority of that movie. It was a sense of failure. Um, but it was because of how well they established Thanos. Um, you know, in this movie, he is on a quest to collect the six Infinity Stones so that he can balance uh, the universe. He has this uh, philosophical idea that uh, there's just too many living beings in the world um, and there are not enough resources uh, to sustain uh, ongoing life. Uh, and this stems from something Thanos experienced in, in, his, in his past. Uh, he watched his home world uh, become nothing but a desolate wasteland because his people were not willing to, uh, to find a sense of homeostasis between the available resources and the people living. Um, and, I mean, who can blame him for that? How many times do we... Uh, experience something horrific and we go to all odds to prevent something like that from ever happening again um, because we are you know we look to keep ourselves safe to keep our emotions safe to keep our loved ones safe um, sure we may not all go on a on a you know become a universal tyrant or anything along those lines uh, but that's just the path that he happened to go down 
And when you compare these intentions to the source material, uh, the Infinity Gauntlet storyline, uh, Thanos in, in the comics, he wanted to attain the six Infinity Stones to wipe out, uh, you know, half the universe to prove his love uh, to the physical embodiment of death uh, known as Mistress Death. Um, of course, much different from the uh, intentions of the MCU Thanos. Uh, and I think that the that the way that Infinity War presented this storyline was uh, made a lot more sense for the movies. Um, I don't think it would have made a lot of sense to bring Mistress Death in uh, into the MCU. Um, I know that there's a lot of rumors that she will appear in Avengers 4. Um, if she does, I'm not going to complain, but I really do hope they steer away from it. Um, I feel like uh, some things just don't translate well into uh, a cinematic form. Uh, comics, the medium of comic writing, the medium of book writing, uh, just allows for a lot of left-field ideas um, because you're given enough time to uh, to explain them and to really you know, kind of stretch it out. Uh, whereas in a movie, uh, in a cinematic setting, you have such a finite amount of time uh, to do uh, any one thing. You know, and I think this is a good time just to remind people that if you really look at the MCU, you look at its structure, you look at the way it adapts stories and, and characters from the comics, this, the MCU isn't made for comic fans. It really isn't. It's not made for the diehards. It's made for everyone. It's made so that every child and every family around the world uh, can jump into this cinematic universe without knowing a lot of the source material. Um, and for the most part, not having to know anything and be able to enjoy the characters, enjoy the storylines, and uh, be invested in, in what happens. So for those comic book fans who are who are angry at, at Thanos' intentions uh, and angry about the loose adaption of the Infinity Gauntlet storyline, um, I say take a few breaths. Uh, five in your nose, seven out your mouth, calm your heart, uh, let your anger kind of dissipate uh, because this is not all about you. Just to speak on the characters as a whole, uh, I will return to, to Thanos uh, after I, I make this uh, brief intermission. Um, I've read in, in a few reviews that there is some backlash for a lack of character development in the movie, and I don't think they understand the point of a cinematic universe is so that you don't have to have these large transformative experiences with characters every time you see them because they have already been well established we understand their intentions we understand who they are how they've grown where they've come from because we have seen them in other movies before the only character that needed development in this movie was Thanos himself and I think they did a decent job at it the one thing I, I disagree with in regards to how the movie went about developing Thanos was some of the flashbacks uh, and the building of the Thanos-Gamora relationship side plot. I understand that the point of that was to increase the emotional distress that we felt when Thanos sacrificed Gamora in order to obtain the Soul Stone. But I felt as though the flashbacks slowed the momentum of the movie most of the time. And that we could experience the impact of Gamora's death 
because we have known Gamora from Guardians and Guardians Volume 2, that is enough for us to feel uh, for Gamora's death. I didn't think that we needed a lot of the drama of the Thanos, Gamora, and Nebula uh, family triangle. I thought that that was a little overdone and, and just wasn't needed. Which leads us into what I felt was the was the biggest ripoff of the whole story. And that was the, you know, that the one area of suspense that we had going into this movie is, where is the Soul Stone? Will Thanos find it? And I know there were a lot of fan theories, and I do believe that the fan theories ruined this moment for me, but that's not on the fans. That's on me for becoming so invested in fan theories and predictions. Um, but I, I just felt like it was weak. I felt like it was a weak uh, plot point for the Soul Stone to just be somewhere. Um, just on some planet. I thought it was a strong plot point that Gamora knew about it, and I think that that was a clever way of reuniting Gamora and Thanos, but for the it, for it to just be on a random planet A uh, and then have to you know pass this test to attain it, um, guarded by the Red Skull, uh, what? Cool seeing Red Skull again, not going to lie. I just felt like the payoff, for this plot point uh, was overall weak. Um, but I will say that when the Red Skull appeared on screen, totally thought it was Mistress Death. I thought they were going that route. Um, but that leads the question, um, how did Red Skull get transported by the Tesseract and then, you know, gets this, uh, this job of having to kind of guard the Soul Stone? How did that happen? We probably will never get that answer. And now that there is no Soul Stone to guard, does that mean Red Skull is back? Or is he just gone forever? Does he have to stay on that planet and live a life of, of solitude and live alone and die? I, I don't really know. Um, but again, I just think that a lot of the Thanos, Gomorrah, Nebula stuff, uh, I understand why it was there. I just felt that Thanos didn't need it. In his development, I thought that maybe humanizing Thanos too much could be a bad thing, and I think that this was the uh, this was the path to them doing that, uh, humanizing him maybe just a bit too much. Um, I thought that the introduction to our heroes, uh, the introduction to the Secret Avengers, as I'm going to call them, even though they did not call them, uh, they did not use that name themselves. Um, you know, we catch up with Scarlet Witch and Vision in Scotland. Uh, Vision, a part of, you know, I guess the still visible Avengers. Uh, you know, one of the heroes that signed the Sokovia Accords and can freely uh, exist as a hero. And then Scarlet Witch, a part of uh, Cap's group who are technically... Uh, enemies of the state who did not sign the Sokovia Accords. Uh, they kind of have this neutral meeting ground where they can, where they've obviously fostered a romantic relationship. And then you have uh, two of Thanos's Black Order attack in order to obtain the Mind Stone. And you have the Secret Avengers show up, Cap and Falcon and Black Widow. Uh, who were being creepers and hiding in the shadows and watching this attack happen 
uh, and then waited for the cool moment to show up after Vision was stabbed and got his ass kicked and Scarlet Witch wasn't in the uh, most formidable position. Um, but I have to admit, Cap was cool. I like Cap. Um, I thought that he remained a strong part of this movie, and uh, I thought that this was a good setup for his death that did not happen. Um, kind of backtracking just a little to what happened on the Asgardian ship, uh, you know, we saw Hulk get his ass handed to him by Thanos, uh, and then he, you know, after uh, Heimdall transports Hulk uh, to the Sanctum Sanctorum, and he is, you know, towards the end of his transformation back into Bruce Banner, we don't see the Hulk again. Hulk refuses to come to come out, and I thought that that was just an excellent way of demonstrating the struggle and the relationship between Bruce Banner and the Hulk. Uh, Hulk is scared. I mean, he is facing fear for the first time that we know in his entire existence. Um, and so Banner is left to fight against Thanos' army on his own. Of course, he uses the Hulkbuster. Um, and at some point, the helmet gets ripped off the Hulkbuster, and we see the worst uh, CGI that we'll see in this movie with Banner's head just kind of floating within the Hulkbuster armor. Um, but I thought that was a good uh, a good progression of the Hulk storyline uh, from Thor Ragnarok, where Hulk, uh, you know, kind of took control, and Banner was Hulk for I believe it was but about two years. And now in Infinity War, we see Banner is kind of has control, um, maybe not by his choice, but by Hulk's choice, because Hulk doesn't want anything to do with with Thanos again. You know, we see Tony and Doctor Strange um, together, uh, as well as Spider-Man, when Ebony Maw and uh, the big guy in the, of the Black Order, I can't recall his name. Uh, when they uh, arrive to New York to attempt to attain the Time Stone, of course, uh, worn by Doctor Strange. And they end up as stowaways. Well, Doctor Strange is captured uh, and tortured on Ebony Maw's ship uh, in his attempts to get the Time Stone, which is protected by a magic spell. And Iron Man and Spider-Man end up as stowaways in which we see Spider-Man get his Iron Spider armor. And I have to say I was pleasantly surprised with the use of the mechanical arms. I thought one of two things was going to happen uh, from the moment that I saw the uh, Iron Spider hot toy promo image. And, you know, it was revealed that he was going to have uh, the mechanical legs. I thought that either one, you know, we'd get a glimpse of him using it maybe once or twice. Or it would be one of those discoveries while he was learning the suit, um, kind of like being in his helmet and he was seeing some of the new features he has and he would see the legs, but he'd never actually use them. Uh, so I was pleasantly surprised that they played a prominent role in his battle tactics and techniques and they saved his ass on quite a few occasions. Uh, I thought that was really cool and I was really glad we were able to see that. Which takes us back to the Time Stone Ebony Maw does not succeed. He is ambushed and gets kicked out of the ship where he dies. And the heroes crash land on Titan, which is where the ship was headed for. 
They are eventually met by Star-Lord, Mantis, and Drax. Um, and uh, Thanos arrives to retrieve the Time Stone. And how does he get it? Doctor Strange gives it to him. Uh, so there was a, portion, a part in this movie where Doctor Strange is utilizing the power of the Time Stone. And he says that he sees... Um, I can't remember. I think it was like four million uh, different timelines, and he saw that there was only one in which they uh, met a favorable outcome. Uh, so I'm assuming that him giving him the time stone, allowing him to assemble the gauntlet, was all a part of that one outcome where they succeed. But it looks like that one outcome requires Thanos to succeed first. Um, but we aren't really given any of the information, so. Uh, I, that's just an assumption. What do you guys think? Is 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 this part of Doctor Strange's vision? Uh, does he actually know what's going to happen? Does he have a plan, uh, or was it just a bunch of bullcrap and he did it to save Tony? Uh, it was on this planet that um, Star Lord became my most hated character. So uh, just to set you guys up, this was when. Uh, they developed a plan to remove the gauntlet from Thanos' hand, and it was going ever so nicely, and they were so close to success. Uh, they actually removed the gauntlet from his hand, uh, but Star-Lord became a love-struck idiot, and Marvel decided to go with the cliche of a lost love kind of dominates all higher-functioning uh, cognitive systems, and so once Star-Lord realizes that Gamora is dead. Um, he, you know, attacks Thanos, which wakes him from the effects of Mantis's powers. And Thanos grabs the gauntlet at the very last second by its edge. While on the other side of the universe, you have the secret Avengers taking vision to Wakanda, where they task Shuri with figuring out a way to remove the Mind Stone from Vision so that the Scarlet Witch can destroy the Mind Stone so it can never be used by Thanos while also receiving the protection of Wakanda itself. Of course, eventually, uh, Thanos' army does show up. It seems as though Shuri is never able to complete the extraction of the Mind Stone from Vision. Uh, but I don't know about you, but I feel like just before Shuri was attacked, that she saved some sort of file, whether it was, you know, something related to uh, Vision's energy source or uh, a part of his uh, conscience. I feel like she saved something that will enable uh, the Avengers in the future to be able to revive Vision in some way. Could be completely wrong, but that's just my thought because she closed that computer screen down mighty quick. What is the point of closing the computer screen down uh, when you're getting attacked? Um, it is so no one steals or sees what someone is working on. So the Battle of Wakanda takes place, and eventually the Avengers are overwhelmed, and it's not until uh, the MVP shows up, Thor. Um, so what happens is after Thor's ship is destroyed, the gar he's found by the Guardians as they're floating through the debris when they answered the uh, distress signal that was sent out by the ship uh, prior to its destruction. 
and eventually Thor and Rocket and Groot go on a journey in order for Thor to forge a new weapon to defeat Thanos with. And that is when they travel to uh, the Dying Star. Uh, There was a name for it, but it was really weird, and I don't remember it. But long story short, he forges the Stormbreaker weapon, and he shows up on Earth with Rocket and Groot, and Thor goes 100% badass. Um, We also see some interplay between Rocket and the Winter Soldier, and I thought that this was just extremely clever. Um, So in this movie, Thor receives a prosthetic eye from Rocket, um, and... You know, so he he has two eyes again. I don't know if he can actually see out of the other eye. I don't know. I don't believe you're supposed to just be able to pop a prosthetic eye in your socket and it suddenly start working. Uh, But that may be the case in the comic book world. Uh, But you see Rocket make a comment in regards to Winter Soldier's arm and asking him if he can have that arm. And when the Winter Soldier pretty much blows him off, Rocket under his breath says, I'm going to get that arm. Uh, And it really just takes you back to our first introduction to Rocket in the first move in the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie when he takes the guy's leg um, or he gets Peter to take the guy's leg, even though he didn't need it. Um, it's just rocket and the prosthetics. I don't get it. Um, I guess it's because, you know, he was experimented on and he has a bunch of machinery and maybe this is his way of coping with the fact that he is a laboratory experiment. Uh, but I just thought that was a really funny scene. Um, so let's just go ahead and dive into the end of the movie. Thanos does attain all six infinity stones and The Avengers are failing at stopping him. Uh, He pretty much is just an unstoppable force, mowing each each and every one of them down before he gets to Vision, crushes Vision's head, attains the Mind Stone, um, and Thor chucks the Stormbreaker axe into Thanos' chest. Um, Again, badass Thor. And he walks up to Thanos, and he's pushing pushing the axe into his chest even more. And that's when Thanos says, you should have gone for the head. Um, And he seemingly snaps his fingers uh, with the gauntlet. And we see him transported uh, to this world where he visits with with young Gamora, which he visits uh, in flashbacks. uh, And she asks him if he did it, and he says he did. Uh, And you kind of come back to the present, and you see that the gauntlet is very worn, Uh, which to me just says that it expelled uh, an exponential amount of power from it, and Thanos escapes into a uh, space portal. And it is from there that you start seeing uh, characters uh, disintegrate. Uh, So I want to make sure that that, uh, you understand that I am differentiating between the characters who have died, Vision and Heimdall and Loki... um, and Ebony Maw from the characters who disintegrated, because I don't believe that the disintegrated characters are dying in the traditional sense. Um, so you have Tony's group that is still on Titan, uh, and then you have uh, everybody else who is in Wakanda, of course, outside of Ant-Man 
and the Wasp and Hawkeye, who they do make a mention of saying that, you know, once they escaped from the raft, they were pretty much given a government deal where they could live with their families, uh, but be on house arrest. Um, and you start seeing characters wither away. Uh, and who withers away? Everybody, pretty much. Um, you have Scarlet Witch, all of the Guardians, except for Rocket, I believe. Um, you have Doctor Strange, Scarlet Witch, Winter Soldier. It was, uh, you know, and then you have just various Wakandians. Uh, I don't know if that's what they're called, but that's what I'm calling them. Uh, oh, Black Panther himself. Uh, you know, the King of Wakanda. He disintegrates. Falcon disintegrates. I pump my fist when Falcon disintegrates. Um, and who you have left standing, I believe, is Thor, Captain America, War Machine, uh, Banner in the Hulkbuster armor, Tony Stark, uh, Black Widow. You presume Hawkeye is still alive. Um, and so you end up with a lot of characters gone. And when the movie first ended, my thought, well, when this, when this was actually happening and the disintegrations were happening, my thought was, wow, bold move, Marvel. You're really showing that you grew some balls and you're just getting rid of everybody. Um, but now being, being a day removed, um, I feel like this ending was actually a cop-out. Now, you don't have to agree with that, but if you really look at it, every original Avenger that was involved in this war survived. And I feel like that was a cop-out to not kill Cap or not kill Iron Man or not kill Black Widow or not kill Bruce Banner or not kill Hawkeye. None of them died. Are you kidding me? You killed all of the characters that have come since then. But the ones that we have stuck with for so long, the ones that would really drive a stake into our heart, you kept alive. I thought that was a bit of a cop-out. Um, which uh, which does lead to where are all the disintegrated people? Um, if, it's, if they're not dead, where are they? Um, this takes me to the soul world, I believe is what it's called in the comics. Uh, so it's pretty much like a pocket dimension that exists within the soul gem. Uh, I do believe that this is where a lot of those characters will be. Um, and I do think that, of course, in Avengers 4, in some way, shape, or form, they will return. Um, which is why I wanted to make sure I differentiated between those who died and those who disintegrated. Um, I think the only exception to this rule is Gamora. I think that because Gamora was sacrificed for the Soul Gem, uh, and you had Thanos kind of see, you know, a, a younger version of her, I'm thinking that that is Gamora's soul. Uh, existing in the soul in uh, soul world so I, I don't know if they'll call it soul world i don't know if they'll get deep into the mythos of it but i assume that these characters are not actually dead dead but they have been kind of transported to uh another dimension uh so i mean what are your thoughts on that what are your thoughts on the ending uh was it a cop-out was it a bold move uh did you really feel the emotional impact of those gone um, and, and where do we go from here? Uh, so the end credit scene, we kind of see 
the disintegrating event happening in a city and you have Nick Fury and Maria Hill together uh, and Nick Fury makes a comment about Clint. So I assume he was trying to uh, recruit him uh, for whatever mission he was going on. And you see Maria Hill disintegrate. You see people all around the city disintegrate. A helicopter crashes because the pilot presumably disintegrated. Uh, And uh, once Fury disintegrates, uh, he had a device in his hand and it falls. And it's almost like a New Age beeper, it looks like. And you see that he was sending us a call to uh, Captain Marvel. Which leads to my biggest question. Where the hell has she been all this time? We have had an extreme attack on New York. We have had uh, Ultron. Now we have Thanos coming. We have all of this happening. And Nick Fury decides now is a good time to call her. Um, I'm hoping that there's some sort of explanation in the future about where she has been all this time. Uh, Because if if there is no explanation, I'm really going to start questioning the storytelling here because you have someone who is that powerful um, and she doesn't show up for any of these world-ending events. So she's obviously going to be in Avengers 4, and I know that we knew that for a long time, especially with her solo movie coming out a few months prior to the next Avengers film. But until that time, we have nothing but speculation in regards to what the next Avengers film is, what I mean, we know it's going to take place after this, uh, you know, universe balancing event. But other than that, uh, it's all theory and speculation. So thank you for attending another geeky therapy session. Um, if you are still recovering from infinity war, uh, and those lost, um, you're not alone. There are many all around the world who have shed tears for our fallen heroes. But if if you're not affected by the events of Infinity War and you've happened to, you know, lose your keys or lose your patience or lose your temper. Remember, geeky therapy is all about taking just a little bit of time for yourself to reflect on the geeky things in our lives, the relevant events of popular culture. Because we together form quite a community um, and we are here for each other and we should be here for each other, especially when we face uh, such devastating losses um, over the course of this weekend uh, within this film. Again, this is another episode of Geeky Therapy. Um, I hope to talk to you all soon for our next session. Um, and here is some, uh, music in honor of those, uh, for which we have lost. And for now, session is over. Mm-hmm.